through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. And the time is 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor. Stay tuned for Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, a major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. After 75 years pinned in place between markers on Springer Mountain in Georgia and Mount Katahdin in Maine, the Appalachian Trail has kind of broken free. And it's enticing hikers in Canada, Greenland, Ireland, the British Isles, and the Iberian Peninsula. And this morning, we've got some guests in the studio who can help us um, think about um, trails in general, and um, specifically the International Appalachian Trail, which is is uh, kind of a, a connector trail to our own Appalachian Trail here in the U.S. Um, welcoming Dick Anderson, who is founder of the International Appalachian Trail. Um, Don Hudson, who is uh, chapter president for the International Appalachian Trail, and Walter Anderson, who is um, part of the main chapter. And uh, each of you uh, have some interesting background uh, that uh, might be useful for listeners to understand. Uh, Dick, starting with you, um, you've had a long career in Maine, um, notably um, that I remember you as head of the Department of Conservation a number of years ago. What else have you been up to? Well, I think, uh, Ron, uh, I guess I would say that I always thought that uh, it was important for people in Maine to think across borders. Mm. And um, and I over my uh, career in Maine, I've done a number of cross-border things. Uh, and the uh, the idea of the, interna- the International Appalachian Trail going across the border was basically... Um, just an idea to get to know people in Canada better, to come up with ways that we could work with people in our, as our Canadian neighbors. And uh, I think I don't hike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of, I mean, that people say, well, Dick, have you hiked the trail? I, no, the answer is no. But uh, I think it was, it was just a, a good opportunity to work with people in Canada. Um, and that's, Really, what the beginning of the idea, and I and I the word founder. When you use the word founder, uh, it's sort of I'm not sure what that word actually means. Uh, in this case, it only means one very small thing that I just happened to think of the idea. It didn't. I mean, I didn't, everybody else put it together. <laughs> I just happened to think of the idea. Great. Don Hudson, uh, a little bit of your background. You were with Chiwanki, um, a wonderful um, educational um, organization for a number of years. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how that con- connects perhaps to the International Appalachian Trail. Well, the, as I remember uh, the way these things happened, I got a call from Dick in the late 80s. 88 or 89, I think, 
um, he was working on the Caribou Project after having left the Department of Conservation. And he knew that in my academic experience, I knew a little bit about alpine plants. And he was planning on having caribou in places where they would eat alpine plants. So he wanted to take me on a trip to the gas bank. And um, so I went uh, with a group and uh, met Dick. And several years later, um, I got a second telephone call from Dick. And he, he knew that I was a hiker. <laughs> And he called me up and asked to meet me in Bath early one Saturday morning. And he, we sat in a booth at the deli, the old deli on Main Street, uh, Front Street Deli in Bath. And he pulled out a map and said, what do you think of this idea? <laughs> and there was a dotted line from Katahdin uh, through New Brunswick uh, to the Gas Bay on the map. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. They're going to hate it. <laughs> and uh, and it, they didn't end up hating it. When I say they, uh, trail people, um, they were frustrated by it because we surprised them with uh, the idea. Yeah. Um, but over time, uh, we've developed a great working relationship with the AT folks in particular, and the project has taken off, uh, as you know, and is now on the other side of the Atlantic. Great. Well, we'll come back to that in just a minute. And, and Walter Anderson, um, former state geologist, uh, I remember you um, poking around peat bogs in Hancock County years ago, and, and we've had other connections as well. Give us a thumbnail sketch of your career and how that um, connection with geology leads to this notion of an international Appalachian Trail. Well, during my, uh, thank you, thank you, Rod, during my uh, uh, service here in Maine, I was uh, employed by the uh, Department of Conservation, and my boss, Dick Anderson, guess why I'm here, <laughs> uh, 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 we were, had uh, mapping programs going on here in Maine. And uh, it, uh, it amazed people that some of the people, there were people coming in from Europe and Canada to study the geology of the Northern Appalachians. And, uh, and, and by the same token, there were folks here in the Northern Appalachians, including uh, university folks and science folks who were doing work in Canada and Europe. And uh, I was doing this, uh, during this exercise back in the um, uh, late 60s, thereabouts, that uh, it became very uh, apparent that these connections, there were geologic connections that, as Dick says, across borders, uh, they didn't recognize cross borders, but the geology continued uh, quite extensively the northern Appalachians up into the Maritimes and so on. And uh, so, um, and our mapping program in Maine with the Maine Geological Survey and, the, and our, our connections with uh, local and European geologists uh, kind of fit into this program, obviously. Great. Well, let's let's go back and talk a little bit about the Appalachian Trail, which serves as a kind of inspiration jumping off point. Don, tell us a little bit about the original um, kind of the thought person behind the Appalachian Trail, Benton Mackay, and what were some of his concepts? And this was back in the 1920s. Yes, and I think that if you if you study the life of Benton Mackay, um, his work in forestry and planning and, and a number of fields. Um, working for a number of different um, governmental and non-governmental entities um, helped him develop this idea of of a footpath that would connect a region. Mm -hmm. um, and he loved the region. 
he loved the Appalachian Mountains, and and, it, and the idea call, um, came together in a in a paper that he wrote for an architectural journal uh, in June 1921. And um, as Dick describes, he just put the idea out there mm. that um, that this trail could be built to connect rural communities. At the time, there was a good deal of concern about uh, population in rural communities. Um, needing to leave to find work, and uh, the 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 l- livelihood of people uh, in those communities was being put to the test, and um, he suggested that a trail like this might serve as a small engine for economic development, as well as being a way for people to celebrate natural resources and and to celebrate being in the great out of doors, and. Um, he had the idea, and it was essentially built by a main person um, who really was the the leader of the building of the trail, which was completed um, more than 15 years later. I think it was completed in 36. Um, well, we just celebrated 75 years. Mm. Um, so it was completed in 1937. Mm. And uh, Myron Avery, Maine native Myron Avery, um, was the really the person who propelled the completion of the project. And before that, um, recreational trails were relatively new. It used to be trails turned into roads, which turned into highways. But recreational trails really emerged, what, in the 1800s, the late 1800s? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I think that uh, clearly, based on the history of the 20th century, the AT um, quickly became the premier long-distance trail in the world. And I think one of the reasons that we've that the International Appalachian Trail attracted attention of people on the other side of the ocean is largely because of the reputation of the AT and uh, what they knew about um, a trail that has compelled something like four million people a year to set foot on some part of the AT Mm. every single year, year in and year out. Mm. So uh, there's a lot of activity, um, uh, economic activity as well as healthy exercise and whatnot. Uh, around uh, around something like a long distance trail, and uh, Dick Anderson, as you thought about it and you began to talk to people about extending or at least making a linking trail, um, the International Appalachian Trail, going into Canada into the Gaspé, what were some of the initial reactions? <laughs> Don said um, he didn't think they've got people going to like it. What, what were some of the initial reactions, and how did you overcome any resistance? I think um, uh, what Don said about Brent McKay's um, proposing the idea was exactly what we did. We didn't tell anybody. Um, there were, what, four people that... Um, when the, the original idea, Joe Brennan was running for governor, and he called me up and said, Dick, we ought to do something for Earth Day. And I said, Joe, I got this idea, uh, and I hadn't told anybody but my wife. <laughs> and... Uh, and that was when I called on. But I went to talk. Uh, when He said, well, he said, uh, why don't you come in and talk to me about it? So I did. And he said, well, who else have we talked to? And I said, uh, I haven't talked to anybody. He said, well, he said, before I make some speech and propose this idea, I, uh, I, I think we should talk to a few other people. So uh, that was when I called Don. I decided I'd better try this idea on somebody who uh, will give me some solid advice. So uh, after I talked to Don, we talked to a few other people, Dick Davies and uh, Kay Rand and a couple of other people, and we actually, uh, Joe Brennan proposed 
this idea uh, on Earth Day 1994. Uh, actually, it was the day before Earth Day, uh, so we could spread it in Canada. Uh, but um, there were a very small p- number of people that knew about it. Um, I r- remember we proposed it in uh, Portland and Bangor. I think we went to Bangor. And uh, we got some negative reaction from a few people in Maine. Um, but but it was mostly because pe- nobody knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it just sort of got sprung on everybody. But I think that um, we uh, we didn't really, we just sort of did it like Makai. I mean, we just sort of put it out there. It got on. I, I arranged for it to get on CBC in Canada, and um, and then we, um, it didn't, it wasn't all that bad. I mean, a few people called up and said, you know, this, you can't extend the Appalachian Trail. So we decided we weren't going to use the word extension anymore. Uh, and we were going to call it a connecting trail, and that sort of dealt with that problem. And then we had a meeting. We um, We had made a little bit of contact in New Brunswick, and we had one person in Quebec that that had called Brennan's office after the after the uh, news release and um, said that we hadn't. I don't know what did he he was complaining about something. I've forgotten what it was. Uh, uh, Andrew Andrew Wake was complaining that that uh, the Appalachians didn't end at Mount Jacques Cartier. If you recall, the original proposal was just to connect the three highest mountains. Mm-hmm. So it starts at the top of one and ends at the top of the third with the with uh, Mount Carlton in the middle. And Andrew Wake called up Brandon's office and said, "That's a ridiculous idea. The mountains go all the way down to the sea." Mm. And I I think that. Um, our response to his point is um, is the way we've responded to all such input through the 18 or so, 17 or 18 or so years. We said, great, let's meet and talk about it. And if that's where you guys want the trail to end, um, if you will organize a Quebec chapter, you can define where the trail goes because mm-hmm. you're in charge. We can't, right. we won't presume to to lay the trail out in your in your on your turf. You, right. You make that choice. You know the geology or the geography, and you know the people, and you can kind of figure out where people right. want the trail to go. And I think that that, that um, uh, Dick's flexibility in particular, because we had made this statement, this trail will go <laughs> between the three highest peaks mm-hmm. in these neighboring uh, two provinces to Maine. Um, Dick's flexibility in saying, sure, let's let's be flexible. Mm-hmm. We're the, the, the idea is we're, we're, we want to work with our neighbors, and if our neighbors have a better idea than we have, then let's adopt it. And um, that was a wise decision, I think, because it, it um, really set the stage for the trail moving to uh, Newfoundland in, in 2002 and then on to uh, Nova Scotia, who sort of kicked up a bit of a storm because they felt that we'd overlooked them. Which was a pleasant problem to have. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, Walter Anderson, I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about the International Appalachian Trail, and our guests in the studio are Don Hudson, um, who's the uh, all, all all three of our guests are associated with the International Appalachian Trail. Don Hudson, uh, Dick Anderson, and Walter Anderson. Walter, um, you've brought a map in. Our listeners can't see that, but just kind of 
guide us around that map. It, it includes North America, um, goes up to Greenland, um, uh, uh, over to Iceland, um, and then talks about um, the Norway-Sweden kind of connection, mm-hmm. the, the United Kingdom. Yes. Yeah. W- yeah. What connects us? This is called Pangaea. Well, uh, Pangaea was a uh, ancient continent that was really developed about 380 million years ago. Uh, the map that you're looking at here, and I wish our listeners could see it, but what the what we've done is indicated on this map in color Appalachian terrains uh, that rim the North Atlantic Basin, starting, of course, in the uh, United States up into the Maritimes, includes parts of Greenland, uh, uh, Norway, Netherlands, uh, of course, uh, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Northern Ireland, uh, and uh, the Brittany Peninsula in France, and uh, Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. And, uh, and uh, at one time, uh, this was all one, was formed on one massive continent 380 million years ago. It wasn't until the 60s that we found out that, that, the, that the, uh, these continents are moving around on plates. They're not static. Right. And, and if we were to go to some of those places and we were to kind of have a, have a picture of Mount Katahdin or mm-hmm. a section of the, our trail, mm-hmm. um, international trail, what would we see that would uh, – what did you see as geologists that began to indicate, oh, this is, this is, these were connected? Yes. Well, there's a uh, – as I mentioned earlier that we had – the main geologic survey had a mapping program. And we collaborated with a lot of the academicians and people who were doing geology and and we found out that there's a uh, there's a connection. These rock there is a interconnection between these rocks. We had a, also the, we were able to date them. We now have sophisticated nuclear dating techniques so that we can determine age of rocks and and, and correlate that age and the rock types across borders into other onto other areas, including and also that includes the uh, the science of paleontology. We found also. Not only in the in the rocks and the age, but also there are biological or paleontological links in those rocks that connect everything up. So, would the average hiker see anything in the landscape other than perhaps um, the granite that they're walking on? Is there any, is there any land form that that looks familiar? Well, I, I you know this is one of the great things about this uh, this uh, program is that there's an educational component to it. And this is and and it's uh, that's why the geology geologic community is so excited about this, because uh, the geology kind of verifies uh, these terrains and where this so the Appalachians occur in this terrain. Mm-hmm. Now they call they have different names like the Caledonides of uh, of uh, um, Scotland and, and 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 Ireland, the same thing. They have a different name, but they're part of the same mm-hmm. mountain belt. Mm-hmm. And uh, these. Uh, uh, and this has, uh, as, as I say, has verified this thing. Now the, the the tourist industry and the recreational folks have jumped on jumped on it without because they have this this uh, good scientific uh, uh, connection. Good, Don. I, I was going to uh, add that when a, a group of us from Maine went to meet with folks in Spain a year and a half ago. Uh, we uh, we brought with us uh, Walter's uh, successor at the Maine Geological Survey, survey uh, Bob Marvini, and Bob showed in in 
all of the meetings that we had in Spain, Portugal, and Morocco showed the participants um, high altitude maps of their mountain ranges and our mountain ranges. And when we were in the Villa Huercas, in the in the I guess you'd call it a, a region or a province of Spain, Extremadura, um, when we were in the Villa Huercas Mountains, we noted that apart from the fact that the vegetation is very different than West Virginia, the ridges were lining up in the same kind of repeated pattern that you see through Pennsylvania and West Virginia as the as the some of the oldest parts of the Appalachian sort of present themselves on the ground. And were it not for the fact that there were different trees and it was semi-arid as opposed to the more lush vegetation on our side of the Atlantic in the in those comparable mountain ranges, everybody was quite surprised to see that the two images were almost identical. Mm. And I think that it's that kind of, Walter mentioned education, and it was precisely that kind of aha moment at the meetings we had where people felt a, a kind of kinship, at least geologically, um, to others across the ocean. Mm. Uh, Dick Anderson? Right, I just wanted to mention that um, for the, your listeners who were not being able to actually see this map, they can just go to our website. Mm. Um, it's uh, int- the main chapter website, internationalatmain.org, and they can see the map that we're talking about. That's great. Well, I, I gather that um, the response that you've had um, in other parts of, of uh, this um, Atlantic kind of uh, uh, um, basin have been very positive. You've come back um, recently from a meeting in Iceland. Who was at the meeting in Iceland? This was a meeting of all of the chapters. Don? Uh, yes, we we had uh, we didn't have all the representatives uh, there, uh, it would, but it was the very first time that we had um, the majority of chapters on both sides of the Atlantic together. Uh, we had representatives from uh, Maine, New Brunswick, and Newfoundland. Uh, from our side of the Atlantic. Um, we had representatives from Iceland, of course. That's where we were meeting. And and we met there symbolically because Iceland is the one place in the North Atlantic where the evidence on the ocean floor of the of the forces that are pushing our, our two present-day continents apart can actually be seen at the surface. Mm. So that's why we were there. And uh, we had representatives from Scandinavia, uh, from... Uh, uh, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, as well as uh, Ireland, uh, and I think we're going to speak with Inga later this morning, uh, and uh, Scotland and England, uh, folks from uh, Spain, you know, essentially called in. They sent a report uh, in advance because they couldn't make the meeting. And uh, we're keeping uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed that by the time we meet in about a year, in Scotland for our second meeting that we'll have Portugal on board mm. as well. Well, introduce Inga. She's on the line with us, but uh, give us a little introduction and then we'll ask her some questions. Uh, well, Inga, uh, Inga can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong in, in describing her title, but she's essentially in charge of the International Appalachian Trail in uh, the Republic of Ireland uh, that runs uh, almost entirely through Donegal. And I know that this is one of many responsibilities that she may have to look out for this trail. Uh, we met Inga at our meeting in Iceland. And in fact, 
at the end of that meeting, uh, made tentative plans to go hiking in Ireland sometime next year Great. as a result of her enthusiastic description of the trail. She was able to show us a little video of, of the trail, and I bet she'll make reference. People can see a little uh, five-minute video on the trail in Ireland online, uh, and Inga may, may make reference to that. Inga, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thank you very much, Ron. Good morning. How are you? We're very well here in uh, in Maine. And um, Don's provided an introduction. Um, what got you started thinking about um, using uh, a trail system in Donegal as part of this international Appalachian Trail? I suppose I wasn't there when um, the boys were over in Ireland for the first time to, to see what was there, any opportunities or was somebody interested I was called when the interest was there. They were saying, oh, there is this International Appalachian Trail. What do you think? What, what can we do with it? And I thought, oh, perfect. We have the, the absolutely perfect trail for it. It fits geologically, but um, maybe I'm a bit biased, but the northwest of the country is really the most beautiful spot in the, been, probably I've, in the whole world. I've, but. Been, I've, I've been there. I could agree. I could agree. Good, tell, tell us about pe- what people would see in the, in the trail um, as they walk the trail in Donegal. What would they see? Well, we're, we're starting off in Sleeve League. We have our landfall at Sleeve League. Sleeve League are the highest um, sea cliffs in Europe. And uh, we have the trail going over, uh, following the coast up, to the, up the northwest. Um, into the old ancient um, village of Glen Column Kill. And uh, then we're, we're still heading along the coast into port, um, then cutting inland, uh, picking up the Bluestack Way, heading on the Bluestack Way over the Bluestack Mountains, nearly into Donegal Town, our county town, where we cut across um, and head into Northern Ireland. And that's what we're working on at the moment. We're trying to get uh, everybody there, all the relevant agencies and, and groups and individuals signed up. And we're hoping then to walk on um, an existing Ulsterway trail along the north coast of Northern Ireland and all the way down then into the ferry port of Larne, where our true hiker can take the ferry. And uh, less than an hour later, he finds himself on the IAT in Scotland. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. And how are people responding to this notion that you, you've got an established trail system, but you're now linking it to this notion of an international Appalachian, Appalachian Trail? How are, are tourist folks um, involved um, in this, uh, local merchants and local hikers? How are they responding? Absolutely loving it. Mm. We, had, we had one, I suppose, some, some of our um, agencies had a bit of a... Um, a difficulty they were saying, oh, Appalachian Trail, wilderness, remoteness, we don't have that. We are, I suppose, really in comparison, a very, very small country. Mm. Um, having said that, but we lack in sort of remote wilderness, we more than make up for in culture, heritage, and our uh, Irish warm welcome. So um, we were saying, listen, we need to, to let people know that they will not find a trail in the same shape as they have it in Newfoundland or uh, on Prince Edward Island, they will not get that in Ireland. You're never more than a day hike or, or even a half-day hike from the nearest house or, or civilization. But we have an awful lot of other things to offer. So they were saying, well, you know, as long as people understand that. Now, apart from that, apart from disappointing people on, on that end, everybody's absolutely delighted to be involved. We have, we have uh, politicians involved on, on the northern side now that are saying, we have to do this. We really, really have to do this. We want to go over the border. If we get, if we get this IAT hopefully established now um, within the next year on the ground, we will have the first 
cross-border trail from the Republic of Ireland into Northern Ireland, which would be really, really brilliant for us. Mm. How about, how, I'm thinking of young people, and um, the opportunity, as is, is one of our uh, guests in the studio, Walter Anders, was saying, is using the International Appalachian Trail as an educational thing. Are young people involved? Are, are you seeing that as a possibility? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I suppose in, in Ireland, we're, we're, um, our recreational um, hiking, our recreational walking is sort of relatively young, Mm. Um, and, and we're sort of at the start of all our developments here. Now, um, we have pilgrim routes that date centuries back going through the country. But um, for, for young ones, and I suppose the, the older generation now on the land, they, they would still be uh, walking as, as a way of life. But the younger ones now, the, the recreational walking is a new concept. Mm. So they're a bit slower in coming in. Having said that, um, just the notion of the IAT, and I suppose all the all the... Um, sort of emotions, all the ideas that the, the, the name of the Appalachian Trail brings up has people absolutely reeling here. <laughs> That's great. And, and you said your, your, your future plans are to make these connections with um, uh, Northern Ireland. Um, and again, so far you've had great response. Yes, absolutely. We have people, I suppose we were working on sort of different levels. We have a couple of politicians who got wind of this who are really, really excited about it. And at the same time, we're working with community groups and um, communities on the ground and, and people who are access officers and conservation officers on the ground. We also have, um, just over the border from us, we have the Ulster American Folk Park, which actually has um, a lot to do with the Appalachians. So they, were, they, they couldn't believe it when we were talking about it, that we definitely want to be a part of this. Mm. So, no, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, I think it's definitely going to happen. And Things are really, really positive now. And one of the things that we talked about a little earlier on the, on the program is this notion that every chapter um, uh, is kind of um, able to create its own sense of what an international Appalachian Trail experience should be. And it sounds mm-hmm. like you're really picking up on that. Yes, Great. very much so. Great. Yeah. Well, um, have you got a, um, a website people could look at to find out a little bit more about the trail routes and how they might, if they're taking a uh, holiday in, in uh, Ireland, um, how they might connect? Yes, well, we, uh, at the moment, we're working on a website ourselves, but we have a page on the International Appalachian Trail website, the, the Irish um, uh, chapter page. Great. And on that, we have maps, detailed maps of the route. Like, we, we have the route, at least in Donegal, it is mapped out. We haven't it marked on the ground, but the, the, the maps are there and they're downloadable. There's a description of the route downloadable. And um, as Don has referred to earlier, Mark Flagler of Flagler Films has done a fantastic five-minute uh, promo that takes in the whole of the route. And uh, that's available on YouTube at the moment, and we're hoping to have that on the website before too long. And also he has done sort of a, a collation of photographs. Um, we walked the whole lot from start to finish, and he sort of took notes and, and took photographs of the whole thing, so a collage of that is on YouTube as well. And it's really, really well worth checking out. Oh, that's great. Inga, thanks so much for taking some time. Uh, I understand you're at a conference of some sort. You took time out of your your schedule to be with us here on Talk of the Towns. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Don. That's Inga Bach um, with the International Appalachian Trail in Ireland. And uh, just as a reminder, you can go to the International Appalachian Trail website, www.iat.com. Dash. 
SIA.com. But I'm sure if you use your, your web browser and just look up International Appalachian Trail, that website will come up and you'll be able to learn a little bit more about um, uh, what's happening in Ireland. Um, this notion that um, each chapter is, is uh, um, able to do its own, that's kind of the governance that you've, that's the model you've set up. Don, you, that model? Uh, yes, yes. We, uh, very early on in the, in the, um, evolution of the project, uh, we attempted, we looked into a international nonprofit structure and realized that it was way more cumbersome than we needed, in fact, would constrain us. So we actually threw away the notion in the second year of the project of having a single treasury, mm. a single treasurer, mm-hmm. a president of an, you know, the, the kind of structure that you think of to run a nonprofit organization. And we decided to be essentially a loose confederation of chapters with mutual um, shared interests. Right. And we set up um, a structure for meeting that is semi-formal. We have, until we jumped across the North Atlantic, we had regular meetings in North America. And we uh, moved those meetings around on an annual basis, province to province to province to state of Maine and back to the uh, five provinces that are involved. And uh, we would meet, uh, and in, uh, in addition, a couple of people from each chapter were assigned responsibility of uh, being on part of a, of a overarching international committee to deal with issues in between meetings. And right. that council um, essentially is what has been expanded now across the Atlantic. And so the council will be meeting at this um, conference. We originally thought the, the annual, the international conference might happen every three or four years because it's a big deal to be arranging, mm-hmm. flying back and forth across the ocean. But the meeting was so productive in, in Ireland, I mean, in, in Iceland, uh, people came uh, to the end of that meeting and said, we have to do this every single year. <laughs> There's too much, there are too many issues that we have to talk about that uh, can benefit by face-to-face conversation. So, that's what we're going to do. At least for the next four or five years, we'll meet every year. Great. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. And we're speaking about the International Appalachian Trail as a connecting trail to our own Appalachian Trail. In the studio with us, you have uh, we have Dick Anderson, uh, Don Hudson, and Walter Anderson. And now we're going to go to one of their colleagues, uh, Julia Daly, who is a professor at the University of Maine in Farmington. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Julia. Good morning. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your connection. Um, you are a geology professor, and uh, how did you get first interested in the International Appalachian Trail? Well, uh, Walter Anderson brought it to my attention, and it's um, I've been doing research on remote high elevation areas along the Appalachian Trail, which of course covers part of the western part of the state where I'm in um, near Farmington, but it doesn't deal with a lot of the northern part of the state, so I'm interested in sort of broadening the scope of what I'm looking at and looking at some different areas. And, and can you describe your research for the general uh, listener? Sure. I'm interested in looking at the impact of climate change on some of the um, remote ponds that mm-hmm. are along the trails. And um, they're places that normally we can't get to, and so I'm trying to look at how to use equipment to um, collect data year-round, even when we can't be there, mm-hmm. and learn a little bit more. 
and you're involving some of your own students there at University of Maine at Farmington? I'm lucky enough to um, spend my summers with my students in the field. So, and I think that's, this is a, it's a really fantastic opportunity for them because one thing I'm always telling my students is how important it is to get out of the classroom and see things outside and look at the context of what they're studying. So it's, it's really important for me to, to get them out and seeing these areas. And um, the, you recently kind of um, uh, had some results out of your pilot project. And tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we, um, we've been working at about two dozen sites um, for the last couple of years. And what we're, we're able to see now is um, how these, the ponds are behaving during the summer times is a little bit more complex than we thought. Um, in terms of their their changing temperatures. And we're also able to see, we're able to use our data to look at the timing of how long ice is staying on the ponds during the spring. And we can see what we already know is that these high elevation areas keep snow longer, but our data are, are letting us look the ponds into that. Um, and what we're interested in doing in the future is looking along some of the sites close to the IAT and really monitoring these remote areas because if if we don't have any information about a place, it's it's hard to plan how to conserve it. Mm. And do you, do you imagine that some of your students might be inter, um, kind of intrigued with the international aspect and, and do some research um, in other parts of the Appalachian Trail system? I, I hope so. Um, I have a former student right now who's uh, through hiking the AT. What's been really interesting about getting involved with the IAT group is that it was a chance for my students to go to a part of the state that they had never been to. Most of the students who work with me have done a lot of hiking. They choose to work with me because they love being outdoors. But they've never been, you know, maybe they've been to Baxter. Not all of them had, but they'd never been outside of there. And so it was really cool for them to go up and work with the IAT crew this summer and see a new area and, and really see a new part of the state. Mm, that's great, kind of that extension out of the classroom. Right. Um, so, so important. So, and what, what are your hopes um, as a, a chapter member for the International Appalachian Trail um, here in, in uh, this part of the world? What are your hopes for the, the future as you look ahead five, ten years out? Well, I'd like to see our students continue to be involved in sort of stewardship of, of that section of the trail. And we can look at it from both sort of a, a service point of view in terms of getting some experience and what does it mean to help maintain a trail um, so they get a little bit of appreciation for that but also to develop some research projects to pick a couple of sites that really um, meet their interests and, and pick a couple of sites that we can monitor long term and see how they're changing and how what's happening just east of Baxter there sort of compares with what we see, you know, closer to Farmington. Mm, great. Well, thanks so much for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Sure. Uh, that's uh, Professor Julia Daly of University of Maine in Farmington. She's a member of the Maine um, International Trail chapter. And we have guests in the studio with us, uh, Dick Anderson, Don Hudson, and Walter Anderson. Um, no relation. Um, and uh, now it's time for your phone calls. What questions, comments, what's your experience? Perhaps you've hiked the Appalachian Trail and uh, have some comments and uh, would like to think about hiking the International Appalachian Trail. Don, uh, it's an, uh, I'll list our phone numbers. One, the phone numbers are one eight six six seven eight zero eight eight eight. 
625-9378. That's toll-free, 1-866-625-9378. Uh, Don, um, if we were to estimate the, the extent now of Appalachian Trail plus its connections um, around the world, we're talking a lot of miles. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, it's hard to estimate right now because, as you heard in uh, Inga, um, the absolute route is not um, completed in many of the jurisdictions through which the trail passes. But we're estimating from Flag Mountain, Alabama, uh, to uh, around the Horn, so to speak, around the North Atlantic and down to the High Atlas in Morocco, it'll probably end up being between fifteen and 20,000 miles. Mm. Not something to be done in a, in a <laughs> summer. Um, and and I, in fact, one of the early objections to the notion of making the trail longer or making a trail network longer in North America was that it would be difficult for people to, to through-hike it. Um, that was actually proved wrong. We've had um, dozens of people walk all the way from Key West, Florida, to the northern end of Newfoundland mm-hmm. uh, in less than a year. And I think, Dick, that, that's 7,000. Now, how many miles? Is it's around 6,000. Yeah, about 6,000 miles. We have somebody that's, uh, in fact, doing it right now that's um, went maybe 500 miles at the end. He started in Key West uh, last November 7th. Mm. Mm. And uh, he'll be done in less than, less than a year. And, uh, and in fact, um, just to complicate the story a little bit, um, Walter uh, helped us see that, that this Appalachian terrain that is shown here on the map in the studio um, actually extends through the Wachita and Wichita mountains in the southwestern United States and into the and all the way to the uh, Big Bend area of West Texas, and and who knows? We've got one member from Houston who claims she's going to start a Texas chapter, but we haven't we haven't heard any more since that initial announcement. Uh-huh. But. Uh, Having accepted all of these other chapters, we'd be hard-pressed to say no. But for the time being, we're saying Flag Mountain, Alabama, which at least on the eastern side of the United States is really uh, at about 1,000 feet, 1,000-plus feet, Walter. Right around. It's, it's the closest thing to a mountain yeah. that where you could sort of put a stake and say, okay, right. this is the end of the trail. Yeah. Dick Anderson? We, we have a few criteria um, about yeah. But who can get to be a member? I mm-hmm. mean, you can't, you can't get to be a member in China. But Walter is our arbiter. Walter and uh, his uh, partner in uh, geology, um, Hugh Barron, uh, in Scotland, um, they, they sort of decide what is part of the... They made this map. Huh. And yep. uh, they, it got floated around a lot. And... People made little changes here and little changes there, and uh, we had we had a great discussion of the geology uh, in Iceland, um, and I think it was so great to go to Iceland and actually be able to walk in the path that is the path in the rift, mm. which really started this whole thing. And uh, it was we had we got some great pictures of it, but being able to go and see the rift and have everybody together and being standing in the rift. And one side, well, do you correct me if I'm wrong? <laughs> one side is the European plate and the other yes, side is the North American plate. And there they are. And if you stood there long enough, you'd go further apart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, one, the, the, the rocks in Iceland are 
very, very young, obviously. Mm, right. And they're really not part of Appalachian rocks. But the rift is where it all started. It's where everything the broke up. Coming back, yeah. Broke up. So the rift is kind of a it's part of the, this educational process that uh, that uh, Iceland, you can actually, uh, in places, straddle <laughs> the two uh, plates from North America and uh, Europe and Africa. Which I'll list our phone numbers one more time because we may have questions from our listeners as we talk about the International mm-hmm. Appalachian Trail. one 625 or locally 469 as we talk about the International Appalachian Trail. Uh, Don Hudson, you mentioned that the meeting in Iceland this summer was so productive and, and uh, um, energized people. What were some of the other topics that you kind of took up at that meeting? What are some of the things that are on your, on your plate as you look ahead? Uh, we talked we talked a little bit about uh, about overall governance and how to sort of keep everyone on the same page um, but I think we would all agree that the most exciting part of the of the day-long meeting of all the chapter representatives uh, was the succession of, of presentations from each chapter and you've probably been to meetings where s- a succession of 20-minute presentations can can wear on you mm. um, and I think that this, because uh, we were at such a early stage in the development of the project, everybody was sitting on the front of their seat. They couldn't wait to ask questions of the, of the presenters from Norway who talked about using a section of trail along the coast in Norway uh, where that the, the kids who were sent out by their families to be uh, seasonal laborers on other people's farms and essentially kicked out of the house when they were eight and nine and forced to walk this path to where the richer farmers lived and essentially indenture themselves to those farmers and to work for peanuts um, so that they, their family could survive another winter. They're using that section of trail um, as part of the IAT. We've talked about the fact, I think we all recognize that if you want to go to a wild place, um, you've got to go to Newfoundland. The wildest part of the Appalachian Trail, International Appalachian Trail in North America, is in Newfoundland. No doubt about it. Uh, people in North America, I think, will be drawn to hike in Europe for the culture and history to which many of us are tied through our families. And people in Europe may be excited about coming to these places that they lost a thousand years ago. Mm. Their wild places were transformed by developing human societies over a thousand years ago. And uh, they don't have any place that looks like Newfoundland. So they're um, compelled to walk uh, on our side of the ocean, and we're compelled to walk on their side mm. of the ocean. And that's, it's, a, it's a really nice um, mutually beneficial difference. And Dick Anderson, you talked about kind of reaching hands across the border as one of your inspirations for even suggesting that. You must be particularly pleased to see this this concept having uh, jumped the, the pond, so to speak, and to have all of these partners um, involved at this point. I, yes, I am. <laughs> no, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And uh, I, on the way up here, we were talking about the Internet and how email and websites make this so 
it makes it so great. Mm. And when, one, of the, one of the things I was thinking that Dawn was just going to say is when we all got to Iceland, we got to meet all these people that we had been emailing. Mm. And it's really kind of fun to mm. actually, and I think the, the, one, of the, one of the really great things about the meeting was that everybody got to see what everybody else looked like and, <laughs> and, and actually talk to them face sure. to face. But, but we communicate. It's great. I mean, it's really fun communicating with people all over the North Atlantic when it's so easy. Mm. And uh, mm. I think I, we, were, we were talking about Mackay having to write letters and take the train back and forth to, between Georgia and Maine. And um, it, it is pretty amazing what um, the Internet has done to try to get this idea to catch on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's great, and people, people love it. And the, 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 that notion that every uh, kind of chapter then gets to, to create the experience and then to advertise that experience, and it's going to be different. Ireland is going to be different than Norway. Right, and, right. and uh, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark will have something to offer that nobody else can match. Right. And that's the beauty of the, of, of the relationship right now, that each of the chapters has something special um, to offer to hikers. <coughs> and... I think we've all been, we recognize that um, something like a long-distance trail is not going to provide for a state or a province or, or part of a country all of the economic development that they need. But it does provide a way for people to uh, appreciate their place, to enjoy the, the nature of their place, um, to learn something about it's geologic history, and it's, I, I, we can't say enough how important geology has been to this idea because we wouldn't have been invited to Scotland um, to meet with a group of geologists and hikers and trail managers there um, had they not attended a meeting in Portland of, of uh, a branch of the Geological Society of America held in Portland several years ago. And they picked up one of one of our little bookmarks that has a map, has the the map of the ocean unfolding, and uh, with a terrain of of the same origin on both sides of the North Atlantic, and and that's what that's how they call us. And and each of the chapters um, takes advantage of that geologic history. And Walter and I joke from time to time that there are other natural things that we can celebrate as well. <laughs> I've made a short list of the plants that can be found on both sides of the border, on I mean, both sides of the North Atlantic and whatnot. Right. But really the geology is the underpinning uh, literally and figuratively the whole exercise. Mm-hmm. I'll just list our yeah. phone number one more time, one 625 If you've got questions or experience of, of through hiking the Appalachian Trail or uh, perhaps um, questions about the International Appalachian Trail, the subject of our conversation this morning. Um, Julia Daly, the professor from Farmington, talk about stewardship. How do you maintain um, the International Appalachian Trail that, that's, that uh, starts at Katahdin and, and goes into the Gas Bay? And, um, what's, the, what's the connection there? Um, we'll talk about stu- uh, stewardship for a brief brief moment and then we'll take a phone call how, how do we, how do you keep the trail up uh we we organize uh twice a year uh work trips for uh, board members and friends and other members of the of the main chapter and that's how we do it in maine um in some of the chapters there's a much stronger link to government agencies and in fact in quebec the trail was built 
by a significant grant from the funds that come from uh, those who cut wood on crown land. And those funds are earmarked for economic development. And uh, the Quebec chapter applied for those funds, and they got a significant uh, chunk of, of cash to put to building the infrastructure for the trail in Quebec. We haven't needed that in Maine, um, but we do have uh, Julia's group doubled our workforce. <laughs> That's uh, great. And and also lowered the age of our workforce significantly, <laughs> which was wonderful. Let's let's take a phone call. If you'd give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Okay, a couple comments. I guess it'll just take a moment to describe. I'm Jim from Orono, and uh, I am a jazz trombonist. So you might be saying, okay, that's great, but you might be calling <laughs> the wrong show. And actually, here's what's up. <laughs> Um, if I'm not mistaken, tomorrow morning I'm playing uh, jazz at a uh, end of the Appalachian Trail, and I know end is really not the right word now, um, you know, in Millinocket, and it's downtown. We'll, I think we're going to play at 10.30, and maybe we wrap up at noon, and there are a little bit of speeches and everything. So I know that's uh, maybe just barely relevant uh, to mention here. We're glad to have the suggestion. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, so that's right in Millinocket. And uh, so I guess I'm getting a plug-in for tomorrow. And it's a great group, by the way. The uh, couple of the Dixieland players are from Washington, D.C. Uh, so just the music alone would be kind of sensational. I think we're to be there at 1030, and then 11 to 12 is sort of the heart of it. And then the other thing was just um, I am a, um, a non-traditional student. I'm a student of NAS, which is Native American Studies, and just maybe to make a mention, to plant a seed of the idea that uh, – um, that as I hear lectures within Native American studies, they actually uh, go back to um, uh, before written records and, and concerns about the kinds of things that I hear you talking about, the connections between continents and uh, just a whole different kind of thinking. And uh, so that's kind of an open-ended thought that maybe there could in the future be a connection or maybe even a representative uh, in Iceland, uh, representing um, Native American uh, scholarship and, and how that might play into this. That's a great suggestion, Jim. Thanks so much for your call, and uh, glad to hear about the, uh, the jazz-inspired end to the Appalachian Trail celebration tomorrow. Thanks so much. We'll get some comments from, uh, from our guests. Uh, yeah, this is Don. I was just going to say that we had a group from Greenland, a group of Native people mm -hmm. from Greenland who came to Maine um, to walk on the trail. And they started, uh, uh, they climbed Katahdin and then they hiked north. Uh, and they, at the north end of, the, of their uh, trip, they had a chance to meet a group of Penobscot and Maliseet kids. Mm -hmm. These were mm -hmm. uh, essentially teenage boys from, uh, from Greenland, led by their a couple of leaders. And they had a chance to interact with uh, the native community in northern Maine. And uh, I hope that that connection uh, lasts uh, over time and that this connection between these uh, people who, who really count themselves among the, uh, the real indigenous population of mm. North America, Greenland being part of North America, mm. that, that that connection uh, lasts beyond just the, the day that they had together. Mm. And that strikes me, too, is what you were saying earlier that um, Europeans might come to North America for a, a number of reasons to hike the trail, and that connection to, to Native peoples might be one of those, one of those connections that they might seek. 
Correct. Yeah. Ron, um, I just want ahead, to mention Dick. one other thing, and that is that I didn't want to leave out the University of Maine at Presque Isle. Oh, good. Where we have a really good connection with the geology department. Uh-huh. Uh, Professor Wang has um, organized some students in Burnham on the trail, and they, they're doing trail maintenance, and uh, he's been, they've been really helpful. Well, that's great. So this connection, this geologic connection, the connection before there were borders of any kind, <laughs> is really one of the things that you're celebrating, to see our world differently than the world that we have divided things up by political boundaries. And, and Walter, you must uh, take particular interest in, in seeing people, um, their eyes light up when they begin to see these geologic connections. Yes, and uh, it is, it is uh, gratifying. Uh, and uh, I might mention that uh, we, as we, we've produced a lot of geologic information as we have other scientific information, i.e. Julia and Don's work and the rest, and that uh, we have um, uh, embarked on a, a program of producing trail guides. Mm. And this uh, gives us, gives us a, uh, on the uh, in Maine and other parts of the International Ocean Trail, which gives us the opportunity to bring in all kinds of not only the geologic connections, but the also other disciplines, uh, botany or mm-hmm. birds or whatever. But uh, but and it's going to be online, so it's, it's a work like, like the trail. It's a work in progress, and if you stay online, you'll be able to follow the the, uh, the progress and the and the and the data collection and the cultural connections, et cetera, et cetera. Great. I'm going to ask each of you briefly for your hopes um, as as you go forward. Um, um, start with you, Walter. It sounds like there's an educational component that you're hoping for. Yes, uh, definitely, and uh, not only, uh, and I'm talking about the international education right. program because right. we uh, geologists know now about these connections uh, uh, around the Atlantic Basin, but now here's an opportunity to bring this forward to the recreational community, to the uh, ev- everyday hiker, and. Uh, and accelerate the whole process. And uh, we're excited about that. Dick Anderson, your hopes for the future? I think that um, uh, I sort of see this as a great way for people to get together, just ordinary people, not governments, and uh, do a project that connects everybody. Mm. And I think it, ha- it does have great educational, it has great educational benefits, um, both geography, geography and geology. Mm. And uh, I think um, Don, you're going to hope that Don, Don your mentioned hopes? Facebook. Facebook, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, we, uh, I'm, I'm the official tweeter, <laughs> uh, at least for the main chapter. Um, and and people can find uh, find uh, a couple of different resources on Facebook. Just just uh, type International Appalachian Trail in the browser. I hope that um, we'll see more and more groups like we saw from Greenland coming here. And I hope that uh, groups of people... Uh, we'll go to the other side of the ocean and explore different parts of, of Europe and learn something about their heritage or someone else's heritage and and uh, appreciate the enthusiasm. You heard it in Inga's voice. Appreciate the enthusiasm that people have for this idea well, on the other side great. of the Atlantic. Great. We've come to that time when I want to remind listeners that you were um, this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guest, uh, Dick Anderson, uh, 
Don Hudson, Walter Anderson, and Julia Daly, all members of the main chapter of the International Appalachian Trail, and Inga Bach um, by phone from Ireland, um, who uh, is part of the International Appalachian Trail chapter in that country. Thanks to our underwriters at Maine Community Foundation. Thanks to Joel Mann for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a great morning. Thank you.